Welcome to Yolitics, the home of cold beer and hot takes on Texas politics. Hey there, welcome back to uh, Yolitics. This is a special episode we're putting together, and it has been a, uh, a heavy news week. It has. And uh, you know what we haven't done in a while? What haven't we done? Well, two things. We haven't had our friend Teresa Woodard on in a while. Hello, I'm here. It's always great to have Teresa. It, it, it really you is. You guys are too kind. Um, but we haven't had a beer in a while. We haven't. And a heavy week calls for a light beer, right? Wow, you brought so, beer, a I, whole sack of them. I ran to Fuel City. I bought a six-pack. They charged me for, for two six-packs. I said, I'd like a refund. They said, why don't you go ahead and just take two six-packs? I'm like, we're not. if I drink that much, I would be useless the rest of the day. <laughs> Ladies first. Oh, you know, this, this is just what I need. This is what I need, too. This is very colorful, too. What is this? So uh, it's not a fruity beer, so Wheeler probably won't like this, oh, guys. I'm not going to have it. Then. I got a feeling I'm going to like this. St. Arnold's Summer Pills, crisp and refreshing. Uh, it doesn't say fruity, but it's crisp and refreshing. It's from Texas' oldest uh, craft brewery. Yeah, it's from the 713 from H-Town for uh, our St. Arnold fans there. I, I think we've all lived in eight. You know, I've you never lived a, there. My husband's from there, so I've spent so plenty a, of time there. You have a there. connection there. All right. And I'm an Aggie. It's, you know, oh, College enough. Station is kind of yeah, close to the Houston Aggie, area. Right. Yeah. All right, let's talk about... That uh, seismic, it is good. That, that is, that's refreshing, especially for, uh, for this news day here. Mm. So th- this seismic decision that we all watched, we all got the alerts at 9, 10 a.m. Friday morning. Yeah. Uh, the U.S. Supreme Court overturned a 49-year-old uh, ruling, Roe versus Wade, now history. The Dobbs decision mm-hmm. now gives states the, de- states the, the, uh, the choice to, uh, to lay out abortion law as they see it. Right. Abortion is no longer guaranteed uh, by the U.S. Constitution. Well, and this has everyone talking. And this is going to have big repercussions here in Texas, of course. Uh, we already know that uh, Texas has one of the most restrictive laws uh, on abortion since September of last year. Uh, this one enforced by lawsuits uh, that can be brought privately. Uh, that's all going to be changing in the months ahead. It's going to take a little bit of time to implement, but we have what's called a trigger law here in Texas. Uh, you, you know, by now probably already know this, but basically that means that automatically abortion will become totally illegal in the state of Texas, uh, punishable, uh, not in civil court anymore. Now it would be enforced in criminal court. Absolutely. It's a first degree felony and a $100,000 fine. And there's some ambiguity, I guess I would say. Um, Attorney General Ken Paxton has put out a note that says, you know, because Roe v. Wade has been overturned, we now go back to the old laws that were on the books in 1973, which said abortion's illegal. So at this point, he says prosecutors could choose to consider abortion illegal in the state of Texas at this moment, even before the trigger law happens. Yeah, everyone I've talked to on the Republican side, the people who are writing these laws, SB 8, uh, the other laws that have, that have uh, happened in the Texas legis- legislature say, forget the trigger law. The trigger law is fine because it's going to bring us into what happened in the past few sessions. Mm-hmm. But we now go back. Texas now goes back to the pre-Roe Correct. laws on the books from 19 se- pre-1973 because they were never repealed. Mm-hmm. They were never repealed at all. So those now become uh, or were at 9:10 a.m. on Friday morning. Those become the law of Texas again. So abortion is illegal in this state now. The trigger law is going to bring all the new things in, mm-hmm. uh, and it's going to to make it uh, make abortion. They're not charging the women. Right. It will make abortion the provider. The provider. It's anyone who helps felony. out with it 
the, the trigger law will make it a first degree felony. It's mm-hmm. currently a misdemeanor from the mm-hmm. 1973 law. Mm-hmm. Um, and it will do one other thing, too, that, that I, I had forgotten about. The law as it stands now says in Texas that um, women can only have an abortion if it, their life is in jeopardy. Right. But the new law, which will be, a, you know, come into law in, 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 uh, in 30 days, essentially says, too, not only if a woman's life is in jeopardy, but if she loses a major, major bodily function, if she, you know, faces paralysis or something like that, then she would be eligible for an abortion if she decided that she wanted one during her pregnancy. In other words, what you're getting out there, uh, getting at there, is that there is no carve out. There will be no carve out in Texas for cases of rape or incest. Uh, a, a woman in in those situations would be expected to carry that baby to term, uh, or you know, if you know there's something uh, wrong with the fetus. Uh, she would be expected to carry that baby to term. Uh, Or perhaps, since the Supreme Court has opened this up now and sent it back to the states, that woman might be able to travel to another state where abortions are still legal. Uh, But there's some question about that, too, as far as the legislature going forward, if they're going to try to make that harder, too, here. Yeah, and we're going to have a, a few guests on the program here with us, too, because I know you guys probably have questions. We've been asking questions all day. Teresa and I are going back and forth saying, are you sure about this? Are you sure about I know, that? right. You know, trying yeah. to nail this thing down yeah. because, uh, you know, Wheeler was the only one alive in 1973, so he probably is the only one with recollection <laughs> of this. Um, but we're, we're going to have a, a Democratic state lawmaker on in just a moment and uh, a Republican state lawmaker as well. Um, to talk about kind of what's next. Uh, You spoke with Wendy Davis uh, today, uh, Teresa. Uh, I want to know what she had to say about this because she has been at the forefront uh, of this in Texas, you know, fighting back against uh, the Texas abortion. And let's lay out who Wendy Davis is for people who don't know Teresa. Wendy Davis was a state senator in 2013. She represented Fort Worth. And I don't know. A Democrat. This might bring a picture to mind. Pink tennis shoes. Is that what you think of? Yeah. Wendy Davis was wearing pink tennis shoes when she took to the Senate floor back in 2013 for a marathon filibuster to try to prevent a Texas law from being or a bill from being passed uh, that would have restricted abortion rights. It would have um, set out limits on what abortion facilities could look like. Remember this? You had to have mm-hmm. um, hallways certain width in order to be able to get hospital beds down there. So at the time... Some people said, well, I don't know, this, this may not be that big of a deal. Wendy Davis told me today she knew in 2013 this was the start of exactly what we're seeing now. She said, when you encroach on a right, it doesn't stop. Wendy Davis has been open about the fact that she had two abortion procedures. One, she said, was to save her life. It was an ectopic pregnancy. Her life was at risk. The second, they found out late in the pregnancy that a child that she and her husband at the time wanted dearly, she says, had a severe fetal abnormality. They chose to end the pregnancy there. She was emotional when I talked to her. She was um, sad and she was reflective. And she said she believes there's more to come with contraception and gay marriage. Mm -hmm. She said that's absolutely the next path that the state of Texas will go down. Wendy took those pink tennis shoes and became the Democratic uh, nominee for governor. Mm -hmm. She ran against Greg Abbott when Greg Abbott was leaving the attorney general's office and when he wanted to run for governor, too. Uh, Of course, Greg Abbott ended up defeating her by double digits. Of course, Wendy was emotional. She uh, is is kind to share these personal stories. We, We cannot 
not talk about or underestimate what this decision on Friday means to evangelicals, to Christians, to churches, to Republicans who have been praying for this, who have been... For decades. Since the early 80s, when Ralph Reed and the Moral Majority made this really a tenant of the GOP platform. Yeah, we should. So we have to note here, millions of Americans are celebrating right now uh, a huge accomplishment that they have waited a very long time for. And And worked very hard for. And millions of Texans uh, indeed are are celebrating uh, that. But there are political implications to this, and that's what we're going to talk about next here. Uh, our, our first guest we want to talk to is Nicole Collier. She's a state representative. She's a chairwoman in the Texas House, a Democrat as well, and she represents um, Fort Worth and parts of Tarrant County, too. We called her this morning uh, immediately after this and, and wanted to talk to her about a number of things. What this means, first her reaction, what this means politically to Democrats come November, what this means in January when uh, state legislators go back to Austin to uh, have another legislative session. So Nicole Collier here uh, that we spoke to earlier. Madam Chair, welcome to the program. I, I want to ask you basically, first thing, where were you when this uh, decision came down? Secondly, your first reaction to it. Well, I'm here in Fort Worth, and uh, my initial reaction is that it's a devast- it's devastating to the state of healthcare in America. It's a devastating blow um, to access for healthcare. And of course, the, the Democrats are, are outnumbered, vastly outnumbered in the in the state Senate and in your chamber as well. To the Texas House of Representatives, where does that leave you when lawmakers return to Austin in January as, as far as trying to uh, to do something for women and your constituents? Well, we've been trying, um, you know, this last legislative session, we, we had to we tried to fight off, you know, very harmful um, legislation that would impact access to health care. And so where we are right now is with the trigger law. I mean, it's going to be banned in Texas. Uh, basically banned, you know, with uh, no exception for rape or incest. So when we go back, unless we can get the voters out to, uh, you know, change the outcome of these elections to elect more people who share their views, we're going to see more of the same and limited access to health care. Madam Chair, let me ask you about that, because we've been kind of, uh, you know, talking around the, the, uh, the table about that as well, too. How do you expect that this decision that came down from the Supreme Court on Friday morning. How do you expect that is going to impact the November elections, if at all? Well, I, sh- I sure hope it does, uh, you know, put people in motion t- and, and make them have more drive to turn out at the polls. You know, what gets me is during the pandemic, we had the access to the vaccine and so many people reached out uh, in the state of Texas saying, my choice, my body, I don't want to have to take the vaccine, don't make decisions over my body. And yet they support a law that would do just the same for those who do not share their views. So it's it just, um, you know, something that where people have to look at the situation and use their vote as their voice on where they stand on this issue. But, but, but barring some seismic outcome in the November election, Democrats really don't have a, a shot at changing anything come next year, do they? Well, uh, I mean, the cards are stacked against us, but it's not impossible. There are pathways to success for Democrats. If we could mobilize and get those voters out, get them those that came out in the last general election and the general election before that, 
and then capture all these new voters that have been registered. I mean, there's hundreds of thousands of new voters that have been registered uh, to vote, people who have been registered to vote. And if they show up, it's about showing up. And if we can get them to show up, we can we can overturn and turn around these elections. How do you think the decision on Friday morning might change the Democratic strategy as far as getting out the vote? Well, people need to know that elections have consequences. When we elect people who put uh, those in place who don't share our views, this is what happens. We get policy that is not helpful, that limits our access. So hopefully people will look at the situation and say, I'm going to vote. So hopefully Friday's decision is a wake up call. It's got to be. Uh, It's got to be that wake up call to get you activated, motivated uh, to move. We've talked to uh, some of your House colleagues, and and they say among the things that they might consider introducing next session uh, is a a way to punish companies that pay for their employees to get abortions out of state. What's your reaction to that? Well, that's just big government. I mean, if you want to talk about limited government, uh, then talk about something else. But if you're talking about expanding government, that's what those policies do. They expand the hand of government and they invade the private actions of businesses. Madam Chair, thank you for the time. Thank you. All right, that was Representative Collier uh, there talking about the last thing she mentioned about big government. She's talking about our next guest, which we're going to get to in just a few moments, uh, State Representative Briscoe Kane, a Republican from the Houston area who um, is interested in pursuing legislation that would punish businesses. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing that, that strikes me about this. Num- number one is we just heard her say that, that Democrats don't have a lot of ch- choices here. They don't have a lot of options in, in Texas government because they're outnumbered, as we all know. Right. But their only option, really, she said, was to drive people to go vote. That's the question I have. Is this decision going to energize or demoralize Democrats to go vote? I think it energizes Democrats to go vote and energizes Republicans to go vote. Mm -hmm. I I mean, maybe I'm being naive, but I would think that this is the kind of thing Republicans are saying, yes, let's celebrate, let's get more power. And Democrats are saying, this is a travesty, let's get these people out of power. So I would think that this day has huge implications for turnout in November. Yes, because it's settled. Abortion has been settled now for now. It's just like when abortion was settled back in 1973. Yeah. It was settled for then. It's right. come up several times since. It, 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 I just, it, you can't see how this will possibly settle. If this is just the latest chapter, there will be another chapter, and the yeah. battle will go on and on. And I... And thinking back to this conversation I had with Wendy Davis earlier, and she said, let me speak directly to moderate Republicans. She said, if you don't like this, if you don't like what's happening with abortion and with other rights, you don't have to become a Democrat to vote for a Democrat Mm. this year. And her point, too, was that, you know, some people may think their voices um, are not necessarily heard in Texas because of gerrymandering and things. But when we're talking about a statewide race, gerrymandering doesn't matter. And the, the key question I have then is if she's talking to moderate Republicans, the, the people that decide elections aren't Republicans and Democrats. They both go to their corners and, and, and are hot air on each so side. It's the people Which the way do the independents swing on this? Mm-hmm. Which way do some of the suburban moms or some of the, some of the suburban dads swing on this? Because they are the ones who decide elections. You know, polling has shown that most people 
support abortion rights, but we never know when you go into that voting booth what's going to be the motivating factor for whose name you push, right? Well, isn't it going to matter, too, as we head through these next several months? Yes, we have a legislative session that doesn't come up until January of next year. Yes, everybody's focused on the midterms that are going to happen in November. Might those midterms, though, be affected, Jason, by some of the rhetoric that starts to come out in these months ahead for next year's legislative session here in Texas? Because lawmakers are already talking about this. You mentioned how you spoke with Briscoe Kane. We've already seen some businesses, some big businesses coming out very much against this Supreme Court ruling, saying that they're going to do what they can to help women who you know, are, are seeking uh, an abortion. Uh, might we see some of that rhetoric going into that legislative session start to sway some voters when we hear some of the proposals that are being talked about. Potentially so, but I think at the end of the day, when it comes to November, the thing that's going to drive people out is not going to be this. It's not going to be Uvalde. Economy. It's economy. It's going to be the inflation. Yep. And Democrats haven't gotten a handle on that. I know it's happening around the world. I get that. Gas prices are up around the world. But in Texas and the U.S., that is what is going to impact folks. My question with an issue like this, though, is does this drive people to the polls who otherwise would have just sat it out? I'm not saying will it change the way someone votes. I'm saying will it make them vote? Is this something that they go, ah, I can't sit on the sidelines anymore? Yeah. That's the question with these sorts of issues, because we know that Texas, you know, traditionally has been called a non-voting state. Does this reach people, you know, who are for or against this Supreme Court opinion, who are for or against some of the proposals that we're going to see to make uh, abortion access even tougher uh, come the next legislative session? Will it get some of those people off the couch? I think that's something that the Democrats are probably trying to strategize for right now is how do you take the energy that we've seen since the Uvalde massacre plus this and how do you make sure that the people who say we got to make change still think we got to make change and actually go make change in november and i don't know how they're going to do it in this state i think one place you can look we can look here soon is the fundraising yeah. for Beto o'rourke and for greg abbott yep. who makes money who who can raise money off this and, and that will be one indicator as well too i i don't want to let something nicole Collier said go without mentioning here too she said she she brought up something we heard so much in 2020 and in 2021 my body my choice republicans the far right said that you know complained about that constantly when it came to the covid vaccines Mm -hmm. my body my choice let me decide this and masks as well Mm -hmm. and now here we are uh with with abortion being overturned and given to the states no longer a constitutional right and then the Republicans, are, the Democrats are saying, hey, what happened to my body, my choice? Right. What happened to that? I, I spoke earlier today also, not just with Wendy Davis, but a young woman from North Texas. She's 28 now. But when she was 20, she's very open about it and believes it's important to be open about it. She had an abortion. And her quote to me was, I had an abortion when I wasn't ready to be a mother. I chose to become a mother when I was. She is 28 now and has, or she's 30 now rather, and has a two-year-old son. And that was one of the things that she was saying is it feels hypocritical in a way for the party that has talked about freedom, for the party that has talked about my body, my choice when it comes to COVID vaccines to now tell women they don't have a choice. Okay, so um, then we take that one step further and it's my body, 
I don't have a choice. Do I have insurance, though? And do I have support for this child Absolutely. that I will now Texas, bring into the world? Texas is the most uninsured yeah. state in this nation. It's been that way for a long time. Uh, I did see that Governor Abbott put out a news release shortly after the Supreme Court decision came down because he knows he knows what's going to come as far as criticism from the left here. Uh, and he was touting the fact that Texas has set aside yes. resources uh, for pregnant women, uh, especially those who you know don't have means uh, to help them through. Um, a lot of criticism, though, in this state about how many women do not have access to just basic good health care. What will those women do, uh, you know, when they have to carry a pregnancy to full term that they were not planning on carrying? What if they don't have the means to take care of a child? What if their child ends up in the foster care system in this state, which we know has been a mess? That has been in the courts. That has been through the legislature multiple times. And, and people go on and on about how foster kids, so many of them, have fallen through the cracks in this state. Is this state going to put its money where its mouth is and say, okay, we're all you know we're, we're, we're pro-life and that means not just the baby but we're going to be pro-life with that kid all the way until they age out of the foster care system if somebody is not able to actually take care of that child after they're born those are the talking points uh, i covered for wfaa tv a town hall meeting with Beto O'Rourke in the weeks after Uvalde, and those are the exact talking points that he ran down, was, yep. was just basically saying, you know, I think that's the message we're going to hear, is put your money where your mouth is. You, can, you claim to be pro-life, but what about once the baby is born, the mm -hmm. foster care system, things like that. Those are the exact messages that he's trying to drive home. A lot of kids in foster care are in real crisis in this state and have been for some time. Yeah, Maybe those, this brings the spotlight on that. Th th this could, but, but the decision on Friday is really going to present new challenges to state lawmakers when they go back in January to Austin and, and develop their own bills, legislation, um, and the direction of our state here, too. One of the people we're also hearing from in this podcast is a Republican. It's Briscoe Cain. Mm -hmm. He is a Texas House chairman. He chairs the House Elections Committee. He's been very out front on, on this issue of abortion. And he, he had a, a, a kind of an interesting interview here, too, because I wanted to know what happens next. We, we've already heard uh, Representative Cain, Chairman Cain, say he wants to even further tighten restrictions in this state. He wants to punish companies, we've already talked about, that will pay for their employees to go out of state to have abortions. But there's a, a bigger issue, he said too, and that's about the district attorneys. 254 of them across the state in every county. And he said, listen, this is, uh, abortion is already illegal again in Texas at 9, 10 a.m. on Friday. And that means, the uh, Attorney General said, that means that, that uh, DAs can start prosecuting. But for, what if the DA doesn't prosecute? Uh, you you, you pulled up this message from the DA in Dallas What County. did he say? This yeah, is so John Cruzel. I'm going to read this. Um, this is a message that he sent out via email. Oh, I guess let's see. Five, six hours after the decision came down. Quote, today's decision from the Supreme Court turns back the clock nearly 50 years on women's rights. I want women across Texas and especially here in Dallas County to rest assured that my office will not stand in the way of them seeking the health care they need. 
Okay, so, so what if he doesn't, Jason? What is, uh, you, you talked with Briscoe Kane about this. What's he proposing? And, and he has some ideas on this. It's not the first time we heard John Crusoe and no. others say right. that they would not enforce the law on something. Pop possession right. is, is right. one thing as well, too. But uh, Briscoe Kane says, listen, we're, we're going to address this because we know we're going to have district attorneys who are not going to prosecute this. And this is the law of the land in this state unless someone else gets elected down in Austin. So this is one of the things he touches on immediately in our first interview here. Mr. Chairman, welcome back to the program. Thanks for being here. Let's look forward to January of next year. What do you expect that you or your Republican colleagues might introduce that would further restrict or tighten abortion law in this state? The legislature, um, my plan and, and from conversation with other legislators is to uh, continue to one, ensure that these laws are prosecuted. So of course it's up to local DAs whether they prosecute these crimes. And we've been in discussions with ideas of whether we allow you know, neighboring DAs to prosecute these crimes if that DA says they're not going to. So there's ideas like that on, on how to do it. And also to go after those accomplices, those assisting others in getting abortions maybe outside of this state. Now, um, in the opinion today in Dobbs, uh, Justice Kavanaugh in a concurrence um, said he believes that, uh, you know, maybe punishing women for going out of state would violate the interstate commerce clause. For one, that's dicta. That's not an opinion of the Supreme Court. But two, I think there are ways to go about that uh, to have it accomplished properly. So, so we're talking about potentially uh, uh, allowing DAs to prosecute uh, doctors who aren't in the same county. Um, how would how would that work? Because you'd have to essentially overturn a uh, or, or move out of the way an elected official, duly elected official, right? Well, look, uh, I guess that's how that would work. I mean, that's the idea, and we're going to go for it. It's also it wouldn't just be doctors. So under Article Four Five One Two Point Two of the Pre Row Statutes, so the statutes that were issued in Row, it says whoever furnishes the means for procuring an abortion knowing the purpose intended is guilty as an accomplice. That's something not covered by the trigger bill. Therefore, it is not superseded by it. That is an accomplice liability section. So it also um, not just goes after the doctors, but it's going to be going after those giving rides, supporting it, procuring the means, assisting anybody that is an accomplice to um, the procurement of an abortion um, is also then committing a crime. And, and would that include companies as well, too? I, I know you floated an idea earlier. Absolutely. That, so companies that would pay for their employees to go out of state to get an abortion, that would include them as well? Yeah, or companies that are paying for, you know, their, their people to go out have abortions. Yes, I think that is them um, facilitating or as accomplice liability. That is the goal. That's what I believe it is. And we're going to try it. Can, can you get that passed in the legislature? Well, that's actually the law right now, and I and I do think the legislature will pass it. Do you expect many local district attorneys across the state in the 254 counties in Texas to resist the Dobbs decision that came down on Friday? Absolutely, I, I expect our uh, the urban county DAs to to resist it, and that's why we need to come up with alternative remedies. It's like that is one of the main reasons that we have civil enforcement under the Texas Heartbeat Bill. We knew that uh, the major urban DAs weren't going to want to enforce these things, so we allowed for civil remedies. And I believe that's a, another thing we'll look at going forward in the legislature is more civil remedies, not just for after the detection of a heartbeat, for, but period, whether or not it occurred. Because if it is illegal, 
DAs aren't prosecuting it, then we need to empower others uh, to enforce the law. Mr. Chairman, how do you expect the Dobbs decision on Friday to impact the midterm elections in November? I don't see why it wouldn't be a positive thing. Today, uh, the court reversed one of its most egregious opinions. I hope and believe that it brings and restores trust back into the government. And and just if you could give some, some idea of, of how big of a deal this day is for uh, evangelicals, for Christian conservatives, for Republicans who have fought um, to get Roe versus Wade overturned for the past 40 plus years. I, I, I'll tell you, I'm doing a, a really good job of keeping my emotions together. I know it's going to be an emotional day for people on both sides. Look, this is, it's literally why I went to law school. I chose to go to law school in order to become an attorney in order to fight to end abortion. Today's a really, really big day. It's why I got involved in politics. Mr. Chairman, we appreciate the time, sir. Take care. Thank you. So, Chairman Kane there, too, that was an interesting little personal note. I, I never knew that about him, but he said that, that this is the reason. Mm-hmm. Abortion is the reason that he went to law school and he became an attorney. He's in the state legislature as well. So we will see whether any of his ideas have the broad support to pass in the House and in the Senate. There's a Republican majority in both of these. Mm-hmm. So, you know, odds are this is going to pass. There's a Republican governor, at least for now. Uh, we know the, the majorities aren't changing in the uh, in, in the legislature. So, you know, I, I, it would not surprise me if Chairman Kane gets everything he wants passed through. And he's not going to be the only lawmaker that's introducing things like this. You're right. And so uh, and again, that raises the question we were talking about earlier, though. Will they still have the trifecta in Texas come next legislative session? Will Republicans still retain the governorship, the House and the Senate? Uh, will Democrats be able to energize their voters to at least flip the governor's mansion uh, to be a stop on some of those bills? Uh, there are a lot of people who are going to be putting in a lot of hours and a lot of money now, more so than they were planning to before, uh, to to try to see if they can affect change there. You know, we've when you talk about um, penalizing companies that help women access abortion care, we're talking about companies that have already put statements out that they're doing this dicks jp morgan facebook disney i mean these are companies facebook has a presence in texas you know Mm -hmm. facebook has employees in texas i know for a while match group based in dallas had talked about doing this as well so this is going to pit the business community against what's traditionally known as the pro-business political party. But the, the, does that have... But it's happened before in the state. I was yeah, going to say, does that have staying power? That's not new, power? Come on. <laughs> yeah, does that have staying power? We saw the same thing when Republicans in this state were uh, considering those controversial voting restrictions Correct. in the last legislative the session. The bathroom that. bill, the, bathroom the trans bill. children. I mean, it's... And, yeah. and a lot of these companies said, you know what, we're going to stop donating money yeah. to your campaigns, and then, you know, three months elapses and it goes right back. But they still so. keep moving to Texas. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's still friendly for business at the end of the day, and that's why they're in business. The big question is, where does this go from here? Yeah. And we've heard some chatter that, that this decision on abortion, 
is not that narrow of a decision. Right. That it could really open up other things. And you talk to a friend of the program. Yeah. A legal expert. We like to think so anyway, uh, <laughs> that he's a friend of the program. He may not know us, but we like him. He may not know he's a friend of the program, but we do. <laughs> yeah. um, so here's the thing. Um, a lot of people have worried about this being a very slippery slope because, as you said, they didn't just say, hey, you know what? Roe versus Wade, no longer valid. We're tossing that out. They went after the foundation that Roe versus Wade sat on, and it just turns out that other protections use those same sorts of foundations in the Constitution uh, in order to be legal. We're talking about things like gay marriage. Uh, so there's been a lot of concern about that. Uh, I think that that was they, they tried to blunt that a little bit when we saw the leaked version of this Supreme Court opinion come out, uh, you know, a couple of months ago uh, and say, no, no, no. You know, this is very narrow. We're only talking about abortion here. But then this decision came down from the U.S. Supreme Court. And it wasn't just chatter on the sidelines anymore about these other cases that could be affected. Uh, Justice Clarence Thomas actually came out and wrote that, yeah, you know what, we should be revisiting these other things as well, uh, talking in part about the case with gay marriage. So there are a lot of people who are very uneasy because, you know, just by writing that, you know, into the official record there, it's, you know, you could make the argument that there's almost a solicitation there for, hey, send us the cases and we'll take that up too. Yeah, he's inviting the lawsuits and we will see the lawsuits and and it's around that very... The very specific thing they talked about, and and they said that abortion was not specifically outlined in the Constitution. Right. Mm -hmm. Gay marriage wasn't either. A lot of things weren't. Religion, speech, uh, firearms, you know, there were some some specific things. Yeah. So— this really could open up the reexamination of a, of a lot of things that we have come to accept in our country. So we won't get too deep into constitutional talk. We will leave that to the expert, the friend of the program, as you like to refer to him, Steve Vladek, who is a constitution law professor at the University of Texas at Austin. He's been on with us several times before. We had to turn to him here to get some answers about what we expect now going forward after what you say, Jason, was just a seismic decision here, and we wonder, does that seismic decision have some aftershocks. Thanks so much for being here with us, uh, Professor Vladek, on, on this momentous day. Um, I want to ask you, you know, everybody uh, by now has heard probably about what the ruling is uh, as far as Roe versus Wade goes. Um, I want to ask about where we go from here, where this court goes from here. Uh, You have been talking about that issue uh, for a long time, definitely since we got the leaked draft of of what was announced by the Supreme Court today uh, a while back. Uh, And you were you've been saying for a long time. This is going to have an impact on other cases as well, uh, chief among them gay marriage uh, and also uh, contraception. Uh, you were attacked on social media for, for bringing that up before, and then lo and behold, we saw Clarence Thomas, Justice Clarence Thomas, actually write about that today and say that, yeah, we probably need to revisit those things as well. Uh, talk about what this could affect uh, this, this decision today. Yeah, you know, Jason, I, I think it's helpful to break out the effects into two categories. I mean, I think we know that this means the end of abortion in Texas, um, right? But there's also, of course, the question about 
whether folks who are in Texas can leave Texas to get abortions. And I think it's worth not sleeping on that, right, as the next generation. Are we going to see efforts in the Texas legislature, for example, to ban travel out of state, say, to New York or California or to other states where it will still be available after today? Um, I think that's actually a pretty important part of the story that we're going to have to wait and see. But yeah, I mean, I, I think before you right. go further there, let yeah. me ask you about that. As a constitutional law professor, does that open up some sticky constitutional issues of its own when you start telling people that they can't travel to another state? So it does. I mean, I, you know, presumably the law would not say you can't travel to New York. It would just say you can't travel to New York and obtain an abortion and then come back to Texas. Um, mm. That would raise, Jason, novel questions under what's called the right to travel. Um, and the Supreme Court's jurisprudence is, let's just say, not especially clear on the parameters of that right. So, you know, I don't know that it would be obvious that Texas couldn't pass such a law. Hmm. But I do think it's worth stressing that there's a very real chance hmm. that this is not just about ending abortion in states with state abortion bans like Texas, but okay, also so maybe, you know, ending abortion access, even for folks who have the means to travel out of state. Okay. And so you were about to go into the other things that could be affected by this when I interrupted you. Please uh, carry on. No, I mean, listen, there's a lot to keep track of here. I mean, the court, you know, we have 215 pages from the Supreme Court this morning. So, you know, the big question is, how much is this just about abortion? And, you know, Justice Alito's majority opinion goes out of its way to say, guys, trust us, this is just about abortion. Justice Kavanaugh's concurrence says, guys, trust us, just about abortion. And then Justice Thomas comes along and says, actually, this is not just about abortion. Um, and the dissent really picks up on that. And the dissent's point is one of two things is true. Either the majority is being hypocritical by endorsing analysis of why there's no constitutional right to an abortion, um, right, that would only that that wouldn't extend to other rights covered by the same analysis, or they're being you know in uh, uh, dishonest when they say it's only about abortion. Because here's the problem: what Justice Alito says is the reason why there's no constitutional right to an abortion is because such a right is not deeply rooted in our nation's traditions. That's the mm -hmm. terminology he uses. Well, you could say the same thing, Jason, as you know, about the right to contraception, about the right to same-sex intimacy, about the right to same-sex marriage. Like, you know, those rights, when they were first articulated by the Supreme Court in Griswold in 1965, in Lawrence in 2003, in Obergefell in 2016, you know, those were, 2015, those were New. There was no tradition. And so I guess the, the question is, who are you going to believe, me or your lying eyes, right? The Is it the analysis of Alito's opinion or is it the politics of this that's going to dictate whether this is extended to other rights? You know, when you start thinking about it, there's uh, there's plenty of rights even beyond that that don't have a long tradition in this country, too. Uh, are, are, are those safe going forward? And, and I ask that rhetorically. Yeah. Uh, I think that a lot of people would assume that they are. Uh, but then I think that a lot of people before today, uh, over these decades, had assumed that Roe versus Wade would continue to stand after it had stood through so many tests before. I yeah, I mean, I think this is the most important point to take away from today, which is the decision really does break the glass, not just analytically for the law nerds out there when it comes to what other legal arguments might be deployed, but it breaks the glass institutionally with regard to just how confident we could be that this Supreme Court is going to, in the final analysis, be faithful to its prior precedents. And, you know, the legal arguments are going to change, but the notion that this court is bound by prior precedent took a pretty big blow today, whether you think that's a good thing or not.
Yeah, you know, we've seen criticism of the high court from, from you know, people of all stripes uh, politically. What does this do to the court? When you look at this court right now, it looks like it's almost as polarized as American society is right now. What does this court do going forward? Is, it, is this going to be a, a different kind of court? You know, that's, that's such a great question, and I wish I knew the answer. Um, you know, I, I think there's no question that today's decision, yesterday's decision in the Bruin Second Amendment case, even Tuesday's decision about funding for religious schools are reflective of a court that is as polarized as our country is. Mm -hmm. And I think the question is, what can the court do to build back some sort of reputation for neutrality? Like what, what can the court do to try to convince folks that it's not just carrying out the political agenda? of the party responsible for the appointment of six of the nine justices. And, you know, the reality is that the proof is going to be in the pudding um, and that, with a, you know, it's going to be up to the court to, to, to actually hand down decisions that convince the American public that it is not just another lever for exercising partisan political power. I guess my fear is that there's very little that's happened this week um, that advances that narrative at all. Uh, one more question before I let you go, Professor Vladek, because I know that your phone and your email and your social feeds are just blowing up today. Um, your students are out right now. You know, you're a couple of months away. You'll be teaching uh, law again uh, in the fall. How will you teach about this day, and not just this fall, but in, in, in the years to come? And I guess I'd, I'd like to zoom out from there and even just ask you, how big of a case is this going to be in law school uh, for the next generation or even two generations? Oh, I mean, I think Dobbs is going to be a, a generation-defining decision from the Supreme Court, and it's going to change how we teach constitutional law. It's going to change how we teach about the Supreme Court. I mean, it's going to change how these things are perceived. Um, I, I think that the real question that people like me, law professors, political, you know, undergrad, history teachers, that we're all going to be struggling with is, you know, what is it? It's clear that we're at an inflection point in the history of the U.S. Supreme Court. It is clear that something dramatic has changed about the role of the court in our constitutional system, about how it's perceived by the public, about its ability to actually hand down decisions that are widely perceived as legitimate. The million-dollar question is, where do we go from here? And I guess, you know, I'll just say, even, even as disappointed as I am in the substance of the decisions we're getting from the court, you know, I think we should not be so quick to cheer declining public support for the court as an institution. Because even if we're not happy with the current crop of justices, even if there are decisions that we find distasteful, you know, we're going to miss a legitimate Supreme Court when it's gone. Um, and, you know, the, our, our system depends upon a respected, legitimate institution that is able to stand up for the rights of minorities at the expense of democratic majorities. And so, you know, I, I think the, the point on which I suspect everyone agrees is this is an enormous moment in the history of the court. The question is, which way, which way do we go from here? And I think that's, you know, that's going to be up to the justices. Stephen Vladek, the uh, constitutional law professor we always turn to at the University of Texas at Austin uh, for all things Constitution. Uh, thank you so much for taking the, uh, some time out on this very busy day. Of course. Thanks for having me. And so what we get from there is that, um, as we were talking about earlier, abortion is settled for now. Mm -hmm. uh, it will continue on. We know that this is going to continue to be an issue, and it's not going to get quieter. And now we have these other fronts. Will those not really 
feel totally settled going forward. And, you know, what will this court look like? What will this court be thought of like uh, as we go forward? Um, you know, especially as, you know, again, conservatives celebrating right now. Uh, if things were to change in the future, how would they feel about this court? Public opinion has, has changed somewhat about the court. I predict we're almost immediately going to see challenges from from Democratic states, legal challenges. It's what we saw for for decades from Republicans. They they would introduce... Uh, uh, you know, bills in their legislatures, they would file legal challenges. Purposely uh, meaning to undermine something that has been laid out. Absolutely. Just so so it would make its way there again. This is just going to flip things around where the left is now going to be doing this. But but, but as we wrap up this, uh, I think, world record longest podcast we've ever done here, and we're out of beer too, um, I I want to mention something that a uh, a state senator told me. He said, this, this is Brian Hughes. Brian Hughes is a state senator from Mineola. He's a Republican. He's the author of the heartbeat bill in this state, SB8. Mm-hmm. It's the one that went before the uh, Supreme Court. And he feels like the nicest guy you'll ever meet. He, like he just always has a smile and a how you doing. He's, he's that, yeah. I, for, I, I, even for people who don't agree with him, yeah, he, they will he, say he is he's a, the nicest guy. He, 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 you know, he, he's a super nice guy. He said something, though, when Teresa and I were talking to him earlier today. He said, this is not a time to gloat Absolutely, for Republicans. Yeah. Hmm. And that just, to me, that leveled things out pretty quickly hmm. because we see what's going on in front of the uh, U.S. Supreme Court. We see what's happening at, at federal courthouses across this uh, state and across the country as well, too. But he essentially, you know, it, the, the message I took from that is Republicans have been trying to change this for 50 plus years and they did it through the ballot box. Mm-hmm. They did it through the ballot box for 50 years. It took a half century for them to do this. Can the Democrats change it back? Do the Democrats want to change it back? I mean, my gut says absolutely they want to change it back. Yeah. But can they change it back? And in how long? I took away from that, too, that he thinks there's more work to do. And I think mm-hmm. that's um, up for interpretation on exactly what. But um, he did talk about the need to help families, the need to help women. Uh, as you said earlier, Jason, that was a huge part of Governor Abbott's statement, yep. trying to say, hey, Texas has done what it can to help mothers, to help women. And uh, so I think that Senator Hughes thinks there's more work to do on that front, yeah. but probably other work to do on some of the other issues we've talked about as well. Even though this is our longest podcast, probably, I, I have a feeling that there are going to be more podcasts on this subject in Indeed the near so. future. Yeah. And the last thing I'll, I'll leave with, based on what Teresa just said there, it's a good, a good point. Um, there is a, I don't want to say there's a shift, but there, there is a, a phrase that keeps coming up a lot more lately uh, in Republican circles, and that is they need to look at, at taking care of, of children from the womb to the tomb. Mm-hmm. And, and that's something that, that I've heard from a number of state leaders, state Republican leaders, saying it's time that we look at all this. We can't just go out there and say we, we want to be pro-life mm-hmm. and, and have these children you know born into our state. We've got to care for them if indeed that falls on the state and make sure that the, these people that they become are, you know, prosperous people who benefit the state and, right. and who help yeah. the state out. You're right. You do hear that on, on the right as well, as, you know, Teresa was saying, yeah. that that's a Democratic talking point. It is also a Republican talking point. Uh, and again, I just go back to fine and well, talk about it all day, but does the money show up for it too? Does the program right. show up for right. it too? And, and, and that remains to be seen. I'm out of beer. You didn't give me beer money for this trip, so you owe me for that one. Speaking <laughs> of money, Wheeler. 
thanks for letting me uh, have a drink with you, and thanks uh, for letting me weigh we in. We always appreciate it. Well, yeah, whenever we'll have to get Wheeler out of here, Teresa, so we can <laughs> yeah. just hang out and do a podcast. Are we really? Uh, we Tell us be. something we don't know, man. Let's break some news at the end of the podcast. <laughs> thanks for listening. We always appreciate it, and we'll talk to you soon.